Wheatley and welcome to episode 143 of the Weekly Weekly Podcast. Um, thanks for joining us, as always, wherever you do, on YouTube or, or the uh, podcast platforms. And thanks for your support during the week. Uh, thank you so much to Fiona Scarlett for coming on last week to talk about her um, her book, Boys Don't Cry, um, Creativity and the difficulties that people have in accepting uh, acclaim or uh, credit or things like that. And I honestly think... Uh, we always every time I talk about this kind of thing I, I say it's an Irish thing, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's 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 a more universal, but the Irish are particularly good at deflecting away from any sort of, you know, uh, pat on the back that they might receive. But Fiona, you were great, so thanks a lot. Uh we're gonna get into this week. It's our third annual um Halloween uh episode, which I'm really excited about. Uh we are joined by Halloween expert and six time Bram Stoker award winner, Lisa Morton. How are you doing, Lisa? I'm doing great, Derek. Thanks. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I was just saying to you before we started recording, it's a very, um, I, I really like this time of the year. I, I'm I'm one of the people that like to uh, uh, indulge in some um, horror films uh, around the beginning of, of October. And uh, um, before we kind of get into the questions that we always ask, was this always a big thing for you, Halloween? Yeah, I think so. I, when I was a kid growing up, I'm a native Los Angelino and, um, so I don't quite have all of the seasonal associations <laughs> with Halloween that you probably do, yeah. but um, it was a big deal here in my little suburb where I grew up in um, L.A. And trick or treat was such a magical night. It was so cool to be able to. And back then we went trick or treating without our parents, which mm-hmm. is something that doesn't happen now. And and I feel sorry for kids missing that experience now because it was like the one night when you were empowered. You know, yeah. you got to go out by yourself and you were dressed as something you loved. And so, yeah, I always loved it for sure. It's uh, yeah, we went trick or treating as well, and and it, it was uh, obviously without our parents too, and it was um, it was something very freeing and fun, and and something kind of you could feel the kind of you know that kind of little bit of uh, what's the word I'm kind of looking for? There was something in the air that was quite different about Halloween, and the change of the seasons is a big thing because over you know obviously over here around this it's actually quite mild at the moment, but normally it's it's you can put it into whether you're from the city or the or the country uh, out in the rural areas and in the rural rural areas it would be kind of the turf fires that would have started around october and it's getting a bit colder you, you got your heavy jacket on i will say that every irish young person of my age wore a a black refuse sack at one point as a, as a costume because it was cheap and you could wrap it around you and t- put some tape and you were a witch then you know but it was it was it was a lot of fun and um I mentioned to you about the difference there. The Irish uh, seem to be catching up the Americans with regards to uh, decorations and things like that, because I know from from myself seeing uh, a lot of American films and horror films, it, it is a much more it's a bigger kind of festival over there. Yeah, it's it's an interesting history in regards to Ireland because it's kind of like it came from the Irish. They exported it to us. We completely recreated it here in America and then sent it back to you. <laughs> it's uh, which is quite it's quite nice. We're kind of like I say, um, it is uh, it's a really um, wonderful mischievous is probably the word I was looking for mischievous time of year and, and I'm all for it. But um, Lisa, could you give us a short history of your upbringing, please? Um, Yeah, I grew up here in L.A. I always describe myself as that weird little girl who wanted to be a monster instead of a princess at Halloween. Um, When I was 15, my mother actually took me to see The Exorcist in a theater and completely changed my life in two hours because by the time I left the theater, I knew I had to be a writer. Um, And I have pursued that pretty much since I started actually as a screenwriter and I wrote some really bad movies that are the kind of things that show up on like the sci-fi channel at four in the morning and um, I realized at some point that movies were not everything I had thought they would be and so at that point I moved into fiction writing and kind of found my home there and I've been writing fiction and nonfiction for about 30 years now. Uh, The Exorcist is one of those films now, obviously I saw it, I think I saw it when I was maybe around 16 or 17, so around the same age, but it certainly is one of those films that 
it stands the test of time. And I'm not like, obviously I know why, because it's, it is a brilliantly made film and, 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 and all the rest. But what I really like about the exorcist and films made around that time is the practical effects of, of the film. Yeah. I think, I don't know if you'd agree, but I think that they definitely add a lot more depth to the horror than what we see now with CGI and stuff. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. And in, in fact, they did that later release of The Exorcist where Friedkin went in and added a few simple mm. CGI things. And I hate that version. <laughs> um, I absolutely think the practical effects make that the horror in that movie much more uh, visceral. Um, when did you first become aware of mental health? You know, I... I don't know. It's it's one of those things that I, I was very lucky that we didn't have a lot of that going on in our family. I had one uncle who had it's one of those things where as a kid, they just all kind of say, oh, no, it's Uncle Ernie. And then, you know, when you're an adult, you look back and you go, God, Uncle Ernie had undiagnosed depression yeah. and kind of just pushed him off into a corner. And um, I feel badly for him now, although, of course, he's long gone. But um, other than that, I was very lucky in so many regards. I was a tremendously privileged kid, I think, um, growing up, you know, middle class American. Um, I was an only child, so I didn't even have to. And my parents, neither one of them were close to their families. We were just kind of this group of three out in this L.A. suburb. Okay, So, yeah, well, that's pretty nice. I mean, I, like I, I always say on this podcast that there's a there's a huge difference in answers to that question. And it's it's wonderful to hear the different, you know, um, responses that we get from it, because it is uh, all dependent on the environments and things we, we, we grew up in and things like that. And it's, it's so important. But so obviously you started, like you say, in screenwriting. But when you began writing in fiction, was was there... Was it always in you with this with this um, idea and love for Halloween that you would go to nonfiction at some point? It was not. Um, Yeah, that was kind of a surprise to me, too, I think, because I I started my real favorite form is short stories. I love Mm. writing short stories and uh, I wrote short stories throughout the 90s and I was managing to sell them and publish them in some pretty good books and magazines and so forth. And then. Um, what happened was at some point in the late 90s, I became obsessed with the work of a Chinese filmmaker named Choi Hawk, um, who worked out of Hong Kong. And and his magnificent films often featured women, very, very strong women and these amazing actresses. And I just loved them. And they were screening a lot here in the L.A. area at the time. So it was easy to excuse me to go see them in theaters or to get bootleg copies of them or whatever. And um, I actually put together a little primitive website about how much I enjoyed his films. And at some point, somebody said something about you should do this as a book. And I ended up getting in contact with him. Um, And his wife, who was also a gigantic figure in the Hong Kong film industry, said to me, why did you come over here and spend a week with us? Um, which of course was mind blowing. And I did that. And so I interviewed him for a week and um, managed to put a book together out of that. And that actually was my first full length book. And um, so after that, I realized, you know, nonfiction is really fun. Um, And the publisher that I did that book with said to me after we finished it, do you want to do another book? And um, I looked at some things they had brought out recently, and they had just published a book called The Christmas Encyclopedia. So I went back to them and said, hey, nobody's ever done a Halloween encyclopedia. That might be fun. And um, they went for that. And that sort of started my obsession with Halloween. I, I mean, I always loved the holiday, but it wasn't a big thing for me until I wrote that first book. And, you know, when you write an encyclopedia... <laughs> something you tend to both gather a tremendous amount of material that you can roll over into other books and become pretty much obsessed with it um which i still am the encyclopedia came out about 20 years ago and there have been two other non-fiction books on halloween since then and also a an updated edition of the encyclopedia when you were learning about Halloween and uh, how does it change? Because we've sp- spoken a little bit about America and, I- and Ireland. How how much does it change through change through the different countries? Um, it's very interesting. 
Halloween, when I wrote the encyclopedia, Halloween was still almost strictly confined to America and parts of the UK. Mm-hmm. It was not a huge worldwide thing at all. And that has just happened within the last 15 years and has been astonishing to watch unfold. Um, and it changes when it gets moved to other regions and other countries and so forth in some, some interesting ways. And, and in other ways, it doesn't change at all. I mean, it seems like everybody loves the idea of costume kids who go out and trick or treat. That's that's beloved all over the world. Big grinning orange pumpkins everyone loves. Um, one of the interesting things that you see in pockets of Europe um, uh, is that they were already celebrating All Saints Day on November 1st. And that's a very solemn observance where you go out to a graveyard and you clean and decorate the graves and the tombstones and so forth. And a lot of places didn't, they liked Halloween. They didn't want to lose that. So there are many areas of Europe that are now celebrating both. They go out on the 31st, they have Halloween. And then the next day they're doing the very somber celebration of All Saints Day. So that's kind of interesting. And then, of course, if you look at what happens in Mexico, that's one of the most interesting spots because Mexico had a sort of similar history to Ireland, where back, way back, you have these uh, Catholic missionaries who are coming in to convert the indigenous peoples. Of course, in Ireland, it was the ancient Celts, and in Mexico, it was peoples like the Aztecs and Mayans who were there. And you get a very different holiday when you get the Catholics coming in on top of these different things. So with the um, coming into Ireland and taking over Samhain, trying to co-opt Samhain from the Celts, we get that sort of macabre thing that eventually becomes Halloween. But with Dia de los Muertos down in Mexico, we get this this thing that is both a sort of honoring of your deceased loved ones and a very playful poke at death. Mm-hmm. Um, death is mocked and taunted in Dia de los Muertos. And um, we're seeing that holiday, which has its very own character, getting exported to areas now. Um, here in America, it has really begun to catch on. Um, for example, this year, a major candy company like C Candy is yeah. marketing the heck out of Didelos Muertos. Um, so it's interesting. I, I'm looking forward to following its progress in a lot of Asian areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for example, in Hong Kong, it's been pretty big there for about 20 years now. But there's a big amusement park there that does um, its own themed Halloween haunts and mazes and so forth. And they actually have done some that incorporated um, Chinese mythology. And that's something I find very interesting. And I wonder if we're going to see that more of that kind of incorporating local folklore and mythology as it spreads, continues to spread rather. When we talk about things like folklore, and I know you've written a book uh, about ghosts and I was listening to something. This is just a complete coincidence this morning that I was listening to a podcast and they talked about in uh, Japan, for instance, um, the idea of believing in ghosts is a lot more accepted than it might be in, in some other countries. And I found out that the, the Japanese prime minister in uh, 2013, I think it was, he decided not to move back into the mansion that he was provided because he believed it was haunted. And it was fine. Like everybody thought, well, that's grand if it's haunted, like you shouldn't live there. But I, 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 I think that if it was in Ireland or England or America, there might in, immediately be a bit of like, what are you, you know, what are you talking about? I think that was true. Maybe at least here in America, that might have been true 15 or 20 years ago. I, it's not so much anymore. And part of it is due to that, that explosion of interest in paranormal reality television series, which have brought home the idea that anyone can go ghost hunting now and and belief in the paranormal has certainly risen tremendously since then um my house we bought our house uh seven years ago and when we bought the house our paperwork actually had an entire section dedicated to we verify that the house is not haunted um, really which was astonishing to me that that was incorporated into these legalese documents you know every other word was something you had to look up and then stuck in the middle of it is this section of oh your house is not haunted 
Um, and what, like, so for you then, is is the you know, with regard to ghosts, are you fully a full believer in that they exist? I'm not actually. Okay. I'm very skeptical. Um, yeah. And in fact, we used to laugh at the reviews I would get for Ghost of Haunted History. Our favorite one came from I think something like the Guardian, and uh, referred to my puckish skepticism. <laughs> Um, I try to be a very open-minded skeptic. Mm. I have friends who are mediums, and I absolutely do not discount their experience or what they do at all. Um, I absolutely believe they are experiencing something. I walked into rooms with them where they will suddenly stop and say, oh, something bad happened right here. And what's strange is they're almost always right. Whoever owns this building or house will walk up and say, oh, yes, that's right where such and such happened. Um, I have no idea what's going on. I don't necessarily believe they are in communication with the spirits of dead people. Um, I think it's entirely possible that they are wired differently in some other way, that they are picking up on even something like electromagnetic radiation. Um, That's something else is that I have been next to friends who we would be seated in the same room doing a paranormal investigation And my friend next to me says, something's touching me. And I have no doubt that he absolutely felt that. Um, I don't know what was going on in his head that made him feel that. But I absolutely believe he felt that he was being touched. So I try not to be, I'm I'm not a fan of the skeptics who are like, oh, it's all, it's all hallucinating. It's all pretend. Um, Because I do believe something's going on. I just, I have no idea what. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's been about, and this may be a bit of a silly attitude to have, but I, I, I think that uh, I haven't seen any, so I can't quite believe in them, I guess is, is probably the way I, I'd put it. I do like, you mentioned the thing about go- ghost hunters on TV. And, and so would you say in, in that way, it's just pure dramatization for ratings and figures? Or do you think that the, that they them, the people who do the ghost hunting truly believe and, and they feel the same as maybe your friends are feeling? I think most of them truly believe. I have no doubt that a few are a little bit on the fraudulent side. Um, I also have no doubt that whatever they are recording at these places they go to is probably pumped up in post-production. You know, the, um, oh, look, the light on that screen is very bright, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I actually have talk to a few of the people who are sort of the paranormal stars and um they believe it they they definitely believe what's going on yeah which is fine i mean it's not like they're making you watch it and making you believe what they what what they're seeing and uh, and feeling but um lisa give me one second i have to read out an advert you know the way things are these days and uh, we'll get back into it all right Okay, Fusion Training Center, Monksland Athlone, a place to train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, kickboxing, martial arts and CrossFit. A great atmosphere with experienced coaches and a real sense of community. If you want to join the team, find us on Facebook at Fusion Training Center or drop in for a chat. Fusion Training Center, train like a warrior. So, I uh, like I told you, I had the pleasure of reading your book, uh, A History of Sciences, um, Calling Spirits, sorry, A History of Sciences. And I think that, you know, I didn't know how far this went back because, you know, through na- a lack of knowledge and I guess just knowing from films, I thought it started maybe in the 30s or 40s. It goes back, 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 back all the way. But, um, you know, I think, can you tell us maybe a little bit about like how the early necromancy was happening in, in Roman times or, you know, for the for the Celts? Yeah, the if we look especially, I mean, we have some pretty good historical um, recordings from the Greeks and the Romans. We don't have much from the Celts. We have what we have on them is what the Catholic missionaries recorded. And it's probably some of it's probably fairly accurate. So we do know that the Celts told ghost stories and um, the Celts believed in an other world and they thought that things would cross over from that other world from time to time, usually on Samhain, which of course mm-hmm. was the forerunner to Halloween. I've never heard of the Celts necessarily being able to, at least the ancient Celts, being able to call down the spirits or 
has some of them. That was something that was very popular, though, in the Greek and Roman tradition. Um, for example, with the Greeks, we have um, Homer's The Odyssey, in which Odysseus and his men are stuck and they're trying to find their way home and they they're thinking oh if we could just talk to the dead prophet Tiresias we could we could find our way home and so the sorceress Circe tells them how to do it and it's very complicated they have to sail to this particular area they have to sacrifice a black ram they have to drain its blood and wine into a trench and dip their sword into it and so forth what's interesting about that scene is that they end up calling up all kinds of spirits. They don't seem to have a lot of control over it. It takes them forever to get to Tiresias. Um, before they get to him, Odysseus encounters his mother, who he didn't even know was dead. Um, and so with the Roman and Greek traditions, there are a lot of recordings of how you would communicate with the dead. Sometimes they outline a very complicated ritual like that. Other times it was something as simple as you might go to see a um, seer who would like a, an oracle who would say to you, oh, if you want to talk to the spirit, you need to go to their graveyard and sleep on the tomb. Mm -hmm. Um, that was one way they would do it. They believed that spirits would visit you in dreams. Um, again, we have an example of that in the Iliad when uh, the spirit of Patroclus comes to his friend Achilles in a dream and tells him, I wasn't, I didn't receive a proper burial, so I'm haunting you. Um, and then as you move into the Middle Ages is when you start to get into some of the really crazy necromancy stuff, which, again, makes the ritual that Odysseus had to engage in look easy. I mean, this stuff is crazy by the time you get into the necromancers of the Middle Ages and the, the great grimoires, the spell books that they were using. And one of the interesting things throughout all of this is that you look at it and it's always a solitary activity. It's always either the lone magician who is standing at the crossroads trying to summon the spirit or it's the going out to the graveyard to sleep by yourself on the tombstone. Um, it's not until we get to the seance in 1848 that you suddenly get this idea that calling spirits is a group activity. That's mm -hmm. something you do with friends and it's actually kind of fun even. Um, that was something that was just absolutely revolutionary. The the uh, the Fox sisters, which are a, a big part in the book, from like you mentioned, eighteen forty eight, and uh, it was it was referred to as table wrappings, uh, uh, you know, at the time. But um, I try to, you know, it's very hard to think like uh, with all what we know now. It's thinking the way that the people might have been thinking at the time, but I can't imagine how incredible it was to believe obviously there's going to be skeptics as well but if you were there in the room and seeing this kind of thing happening and the, the table wrappings and stuff I can't imagine how uh, uh, freaky that must be <laughs> it was freaky I'm sure especially I mean in, in the beginning of the whole thing which was the, also the birth of the spiritualist movement um, certainly no one had ever seen anything like that. And then as the, the movement advances through the late 19th century, you, you start to get this idea that almost anyone can be a medium, but there are people who are more skilled at it than others, and they become the superstars. And one of the fun things about writing that book was discovering these amazing stories of these people who became the, the star mediums and all the scandals and things that were involved around them and um, how often they were debunked and yet their followers just kept saying, oh, no, no, they're real. Um, that putting aside what we would think of as putting aside logic and common sense to persist in a belief was really fascinating to me. There's kind of a thing about it these days, if you know, if it's whether it's uh, seances or, or even, you know, fortune telling and stuff. Kind of, there seems to be kind of a split between it's something like a fun exploit, you know, to get, you know, thing that we like to do, or it's still seen as quite a serious business for other people. Yeah, yeah. In in fact, I often say that I think spiritualism split off to become two different forks in the 21st century. I mean, started in the 20th, but um, I think on the one hand, it has become that modern psychic, the superstar yeah. psychic who will go to an auditorium and 
hundreds of people buy a ticket to hear them say, oh, your aunt Jean is here with us. Um, and then on the other hand, because spiritualism definitely had its scientific side, it actually in the beginning believed it was the only religion that could be proven scientifically. And a lot of prominent scientists were believers and were involved with the movement early on. That has become our modern paranormal investigation, that obsession with the idea that science, scientific devices like um, EMF meters can reveal the presence of spirits. And um, so, um, yeah, and, and it's interesting that the belief in that now is, if anything, stronger in some ways than what, what we saw with the early spiritualists. Yeah, there's... Um... You can, you know, anybody and most people will have probably gone onto YouTube and seen some clips of of kind of amateur ghost hunters and and things online. And look, the the thing is, I've gone onto them as well, and I've wondered, like, was that, you know, what they were thinking it was? And that's, you know, that's kind of fine. I think another thing that people have all we all kind of had a go at is a Ouija board. Um, have you tried a Ouija board before? I'm guessing you have. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was part of that generation, and I think kids still do it, where if you were growing up and you went to a slumber party with your friends, at some point a Ouija board was brought out. Yeah. Um, Has anything ever happened? Not with a Ouija board. Um, I have also done some paranormal investigations in which a few odd things happened. Um, I manage since I live in the West Coast, I'm I'm fairly close to some really famous locations. I've been on I've done a a search throughout the Queen Mary, for example. And um, the Stanley Hotel in Colorado is very famous for being haunted. And and I did have something happen there that was like, okay, that was weird. I'm not sure how I can explain that. We were um, actually out in an outbuilding there that's a concert hall, and it was like three in the morning, and it was October, and it was very cold, and the wind was whistling, and, you know, the setting is perfect in the first place, and the the building is very dark, and we were using a device called a spirit box. I don't know if you know Mm, what that is, but it's a thing that rapidly scans radio frequencies, and it sounds like just a blur of white noise that is occasionally punctuated with a word, and um nothing had been happening for a while and and the spirit box was on and all of a sudden this word blurted out of this thing that sounded like mostelaria which i mean that threw me for a loop because at the time i was researching my ghost haunted history book and i had just studied the history of um roman uh roman playwrights and plautus wrote a very famous um play called the haunted house the actual latin title is mostelaria And to hear that come out of this thing at three in the morning in a Colorado building was genuinely weird. Now, I would my skeptical answer to that is that it was probably something that sounded like Mostawari. It was probably a disc jockey somewhere saying and most of the are, you know, something but um, it's fascinating to me that the human brain wants to make sense out of this. Yeah, I, I did one once and uh, just with the, the girl I was seeing at the time and I don't know whose idea it was, but it, it we were doing it with a coin or something like, you know, but like halfway through, she properly like got really frightened and started, you know, saying we have to burn this, we have to burn this, you know, all the coin and we have to burn it. And like, Obviously, for me, I, I didn't know what she was, you know, uh, after seeing or how, how she felt or stuff like that. And it was a while ago now, but it was enough kind of, even though I didn't see or feel anything, enough for me to kind of go, I don't know. I don't know if I'll bother doing one of those again. <laughs> you know, I just thought I've had my I've had my go at it. But, you know, but so when you when you're writing uh, novels and short stories and I know your short stories, like you mentioned, is, is a big thing. Do do the things like, you know, the the awards, uh, the Bram Stoker Award, obviously a, a very famous Irish uh, writer. Uh, does do they mean uh, a lot to you? Oh, um, they do and they don't. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm certainly very proud of them. I'm tremendously honored to be a recipient of these awards, but. When you are doing the actual writing, of course, you you have to immerse yourself in the world of the, the story. I mean, I, I think it would be disastrous for any writer to think, oh, I'm going to write a story that's going to win me another award. <laughs> that that way lies madness for me. 
that's fair. I think that's fair enough. And and so with with your writing with regards to the the fiction, then it, are they? Have you do do you do some child friendly ones, and then you do adult ones as well? Or are they predominantly adult? I've done some um, YA fiction. Um, I've had a few short stories that were published in things for kids. Um, so yeah, I love the whole ya world and uh, it's been really interesting to see that explode in popularity over the last 25 years or so and um it's gone in such interesting directions i often in fact wish i could write more Mm. ya stuff and and i've considered doing an actual novel and it's just one more of those things i somehow never get to (laughs) (laughs) look we only have so much time at our hands i suppose but um why do you think we still tell ghost stories why do we enjoy being scared i think it is a way for us to test ourselves in a very safe environment it's the same reason that we go to haunted attractions and that we love halloween because we um i think we experience something very special when we test ourselves in that way when we test our fears and and we can end up saying oh i survived i can survive these things um and we, as we are going through, for example, a haunted house, and there are people jumping out at you, and there are monsters and things happening, but you know it's safe, um, provided you're not doing one of the extreme haunted houses, which I would, I don't think ever do, because I'm, I'm not sure they are even the same experience. Um, they're more about endurance than <laughs> testing of your fears. Yeah. There's a there's a thing over here now. I don't. We probably do have some sort of a because obviously a lot of castles. And I'm sure they do some sort of a Halloween, you know, a tour within those older castles. But well, they're all old. But um, but there's one in particular. Uh, I think it's called Pharmophobia. But it's I know they have them in the states as well. They have them in a lot with the corn fields and stuff. That to me is kind of it's an interesting thing. I. I I'm not sure if I'm ready to jump in yet. Like it's it's one of those ones. Like I have anxiety, so I don't. I I often wonder, would it help with anxiety? Or because I've heard people talk about horror films as a really good thing for anxiety and for mental health because it does take you out of yourself, take you away from that feelings that you may be having. So I I often wonder if I should just jump into a, a cornfield somewhere and just uh, get scared. Well, my suggestion on that, Derek, would be to watch some YouTube videos of them um, because you can, I mean, people are all filming themselves going through things now. And in fact, here in Southern California, where we have so many uh, professional haunts, including the ones that started it all with the amusement parks, there are places that get special permission from the attractions to film them in really beautiful detail. I don't have time during October to go to anything, but I can sit down for a few minutes and watch these videos because I like to keep up to date with what's going on in that big part of Halloween. And um, that might, I, that might be a very good way for you to find out if you think you can do this or not, because you'll see exactly what they're like. And of course it won't be quite the full immersive experience, but I mean, if watching the video is making you anxious, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> that's it. That's a good point. And it's funny. I always think of YouTube for everything. I think I need to fix my my bike tire. I look on YouTube, but I, I never thought of that. So thank you very much for that. How does your October look? Because it must be pretty hectic. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, I do dozens and dozens of shows and interviews and presentations and lectures and Um, But we also, since we bought our house seven years ago, we've always loved yard haunts. So we do our own little tiny yard haunt, which is more of an artistic collage of pieces that we like. We we turn our driveway into a graveyard and we make it very family friendly because we love seeing the families who show up every year and um, will tell us, oh, I like what you've added this year and make their kids pose with things. And so that part of it is really fun. We don't do gore or like yeah. monsters or anything. Yeah. I like to, I like to, I think the Americans do it particularly well with regards to obviously decoration and stuff. When you see the houses and, and, you know, I mentioned that the, that Ireland are catching up. There is one house that's not too far from here that's got a huge kind of array of, of again, family friendly, but amazingly done lights and, you know, figures and uh, witches and stuff. Done up. And I, I think that's, I think that's great. Like, you know, it's nice to see. And, uh, you know, um, 
it's a nice it's it's just that kind of little celebration in between maybe that like the summer when the kids are off and then this christmas which is the big thing and i just think you know to make a little bit more of it is quite is quite uh interesting i i am um, i was also like i was like i said i was out running this morning and i uh i got to thinking about a, a banshees okay yeah. Because again, it, it's something that I used to hear about when I was young a lot, like from 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 my from uh, maybe from my parents, or you know, there'd be kind of stories that'd be passed down about like someone heard a banshee and and stuff. And I don't really hear, I mean, you're not hanging around in the right circles, but I don't hear that anymore about banshees. Is that like what what is your um what have you heard and and you know read up about on uh, banshees? I, it's funny, I was just talking about banshees the other okay. day because I was saying they seem to me to be the one like monster in Western folklore that hasn't had a good movie yet. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. And I suspect if they did, they would you would be hearing about them everywhere. Um they have sort of been lost in all of the media representations of these things. Um so if, yeah, like- the there's a shit that sorry to cut across you, but there's actually the only time I hear of banshees is there's a bag of uh, like crisps or chips um, called banshee bones. And that's the only time I ever hear about them. And they're really nice. They're salt and vinegar. <laughs> that's oh, that's all I know. Oh, they sound great. Yeah, they are. They're really nice. Yeah, but, I, go on. It's interesting, too, because I don't know if you know the origin of that word. No. Banshee. Do you know where that comes from? No, uh, that is a it's derived from the ancient Celts because the 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 malicious creatures, which were essentially their version of very nasty fairies that the Celts believed lived in their other world, were called the she. Um, and Ban is actually female. A Ban she is a female um, fairy spirit. Ah. And, and so that comes down from the ancient Celts. And so that's been around for, you know, millennia now. And um, it's, yeah, it's, I'm a poor superstar yet. I think that's one that someone will grab onto at some point. Yeah, it's, it's, I didn't even think of it, but like, that is pretty crazy because I mean, we, there's horror films about leprechauns, you know what, like Banshe, a Banshee would seem a more, you know, scary idea, uh, the the leprechauns, but somehow they managed it, although the leprechaun's not a really good film. But what is, like, uh, for you, what are some of your favorite horror films that you'd go back to? Um, I grew up loving the Universal Monsters, so I it's one of my little treats to myself every October is to watch a few of the old classic Universal Monster movies, Bride of Frankenstein, and I I even love the ones that came later in the series that are like these goofy monster mash things, House yeah. of Dracula, that kind of thing. Um, but in terms of like Halloween films, I I absolutely love John Carpenter's Halloween, nineteen seventy eight original is still an amazing film, I think. And um, more recently, Michael Doherty's Trick or Treat is a great brilliant. Film. Yeah, I. Uh... I'm going to say, like, I, people will know on this podcast, ha- Halloween, the original, is my favorite horror film. I would have it very high up in my all-time films. I think that uh, it, it, it was my, I think it was my initial introduction to what I thought American Halloween was like, with, you know, with the, with the trick-or-treating and all right. the kind of stuff that went along with it. It's funny that you mentioned Trick or Treat. I Since I discovered it, which would be maybe six or seven years ago, I watch it every year, I, I think... The idea of those legends and those, uh, um, you know, those urban urban legends, I should say, really, uh, that uh, to do with candy and all that stuff was always uh, I never saw it in a complete film. And when I saw Trick or Treat for the first time, I thought that's that's like a modern and. I I I think that there's been a bit of a resurgence. I I with you on the, you know, um like the old films, like The Wolfman and, and, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein, things like that. But there's been a kind of a resurgence, I, I think, with horror. And I look at stuff like It Follows, which I thought was a, 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 a film that was very close to Halloween vibe, um, you know, mm-hmm. and really lent on it, uh, this, like terror uh, in suburbia kind of thing. But but things like um, The Witch, you know, that kind of vibe that they got from it. And I've been kind of fascinated by witches, um, 
I read a book about them. Uh, it didn't come out. So, uh, sorry, it came out there about four or five years ago. And I wish I remember the name of it as we're talking about it. But it's about just I think it was just called Witches. But um, it was nonfiction and it was obviously the history of, of witches. And I've been fascinated about the view of them from how they were viewed in the witch trials, which you've mentioned in, in the book that I read. But up until now, where it's they're almost celebrated. Yeah, there's there's been a really interesting transformation in the perception of witches. And one of the things that I was commenting on recently is that you almost never now hear the term Wiccan. Mm. Um, People have embraced people who practice the craft have embraced witches, witchcraft. They they now very openly and happily refer to themselves as witches um, and it's interesting to me also that they are very popular on social media. Um, yeah. In fact, I was recently working with a nonfiction publisher of sort of spiritual and metaphysical books, and um, I had pitched them a book that they passed on and they said, we love it, but all we can sell right now is witchcraft. Books. Really? It seems to be something that is exploding in popularity at the moment, and I I am not sure what's behind that, but um, I know a number of witches. They are among my favorite people. They are all incredibly sweet-natured and caring people, and in fact, they inspired my latest piece of fiction, which just came out on Friday, and it's a novella called Halloween Beyond the Talking Board. And and there's a character in it. It's about a mystery, a crime that happened where a child went missing a year ago on Halloween and her sister's trying to find her. And one of the leading suspects is an elderly woman named Bridget, who people believe is a witch. And of course, as the story progresses, you find out, yeah, she is a witch, but she's also a wonderful person who's trying to find this child. And um, that was kind of my love letter to my friends who are witches and to let people know that even fiction, I think, is needs to start changing in how it portrays witches. Yeah, it, it like it is absolutely a fascinating kind of subject and that change. And, and um, if you can't quite if you don't know, quite know what it's down to, I definitely don't know what it's down to. But I, I do think that, um, you know, we, like social media is a great thing to see and hear uh, people, you know, talking about being witches and stuff. And like I said, from when I was uh, young and, you know, going out trick or treating and we would be dressed up as witches. And to me at that time, it seemed that all Halloween was based around witches because everybody seemed to dress up as a witch. And now, obviously, it's much more, you know, people are kind of catching on with trends. And I know that Jeffrey Dahmer is apparently the the big one this year that people are going to dress up on and and people have different feelings on that you know but 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 i do think that 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 whole uh, you know the idea of when you um like the my first time of hearing about that witch trials was probably through the crucible you know and and kind of not really understanding the play because i was too young but uh, you know but when i as i went on i saw the film and i maybe reread it and i i kind of thought that was just like because we because i know there was so much panic around and everybody gets on the on board and it, the delusions of crowds and stuff. And then I read about, you know, the eighties and nineties in, in the States, the satanic panic was another thing that kind of came along. And like, I'm, I'm hoping that this kind of thing doesn't uh, rear its ugly head again, that, you know, they'll latch onto something like that. But how interesting was that actually for, for you? Because you would have been obviously in the States, something like the satanic panic. And, you know, it was, it was bizarre. It was bizarre, and and I, I remember reading about it even then and thinking, this is nonsense. <laughs> um, I mean, it seemed to me that anyone with a brain should have looked at it and said, well, you have no evidence of any of this actually happening. Yeah. What, what are you doing? And, and yet even I think the FBI was embracing it at some point. And I mean, it tied right into using psychics to mm. find crimes, which, again, it was the kind of thing that you would read and you would think but they've never done it why do you why are you doing this um yeah and i I was actually very interested in a famous trial here called the west memphis three which is yeah the marvelous documentary paradise lost came out of that case and that was a satanic panic thing that led to the false incarceration of three young men um so yeah it, it definitely was both nonsensical and kind of terrifying yeah 
reasons. I think the FBI made some sort of a a training. I heard it on a on a podcast or something, but it was like a trainer video for other FBI agents to spot this satanic panic, and it was absolute nonsense. The stuff that they had in the in the video and in the you know the recording and. Yeah, I, I was another one that watched uh, Paradise Lost, and it's it's a great like great piece of documentary filmmaking. But uh, young lads who listened to Metallica and maybe drew some symbols on a copy, and then they got eighteen years in 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 prison for it, and uh, still are seen as as guilty because they had to sign off a, a certain law to say that they had you know they were guilty, but you know they'd served their time. And yeah, it, it it's the whole the whole thing, the whole the way that the crowd can move. And and it can build and build and become this kind of, you know, outrageous kind of thing. But um, so you've just released, like you said, a new novella. Um, is it like the for the writing process for you? Is it everyday thing? Is it when the when the magic strikes or, or how do you do it? Well, when you reach my level, it's like this is going to sound like horrible bragging, but when you hit a certain level, let's say in your career. Um, if you are maintaining a day job as well, or have another job, um, I, I love my day job. I'm a bookseller and I have done that my whole life. And it's one of those things where I almost refuse to, to give it up as long as I can. Um, but there are only so many hours in the day. So I am not someone who believes in that ironclad, oh, you have to write X number of words every day, because there are days when, my writing time goes entirely to the non-writing part of writing, which is the contracts and the research and the interviews and the um, maintaining your social media presence, which now has to be part of your career. Mm-hmm. And um, the since COVID hit, um, it's become even harder for me because my hours, my work hours shifted. Okay. And they now have sort of cut into the time I used to use to write every day. And I still haven't readjusted yet, even though it's now been two years. And so for me, my writing gets the actual writing part of writing tends to get accomplished on my days off. Um, and when that happens, I can I'm experienced enough at it by now that I can turn out things fairly quickly. Um, although there are also some p- bizarre assignments, like right now, my big project for this year has been my first coffee table art book, um, oh. which is really fun. It will be released in fall of 2023. It's called The Art of the Zombie Movie. Um, it's really fun. It's been really fun to put together. But I have discovered that doing a coffee table art book is completely different from anything else. And we are far enough along in the process now that they um, they have like a team of an army of people working on this book. And the layout artists are now working through their passes and laying out all of the images and so forth. And my next task is to go in and write the captions, which sounds like something that you'd be like, well, big deal. Except my contract specifies 27,000 words of captions. Oh, I have to caption about right now the book has 512 images. Um, And the captions in these books have a certain style, which is that they kind of add to the text. So you are not just reiterating the same information that's in the text. You might be saying, oh, in this particular role, Bella Lugosi's inspiration was blah, blah, blah. So the the captions become almost a secondary text in these books. And um, that's what I'm working on right now. So it's a weird job because you're writing little tiny 50 word chunks. Um, It sounds like it sounds like a must have, to be honest with you. It sounds it sounds deadly. And I mean, the way people. Uh, like really seem to revere um, zombie films as well. Like there's such a, a huge um, and, and there's a, quite a lot of really great uh, zombie films too, which is makes it even better, you know? Um, so this is a question I ask everyone. Uh, what do you like to do in your spare time? Um, I love gardening. Um, although the climate change here in LA has rendered some of that null and void, um, our summers now are so long and so hot that things I used to grow even five years ago, I can't grow anymore. Um, and, but I still love it. I do plant a lot of now succulents and natives and 
Um, I have a cat. Used, I think one yeah, just so. wandered <laughs> through the background that I love. But and I just I love being a part of the writing community. So I love like trying to mentor new writers. And um, I've done a lot of work with the Horror Writers Association, which is the biggest organization in the world for horror writers. And I find that really fulfilling. Um, just helping other writers is a big thing for me. That's brilliant. And where can people uh, find you uh, in social media? Um, probably start with my website, lisamorton.com. And then right from there, you'll see links to my Facebook and Instagram. Excellent. I will make sure I, I post that when I put this episode out. I, I'll post that. Um, Lisa, you've been a terrific guest, as I knew you would. Thank you very much, Derek. This has been great fun. Uh, thanks a lot. Listen, would you mind just staying there for one minute? I'll, I'll finish this out. I'll take one photo from my collection, my ever-growing collection, and then we'll be on our way. Is that okay? That sounds great. Brilliant. Thank you, Lisa. I also need to thank John Francis for doing all the tech work that I'm unable to do. Um, thank my mom, my dad, my granddad, as always, and also Jaron Calvin for their help in the podcast. Um, if, you, if you would, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, all the episodes are on there. Um, we're on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. I nearly forgot. I wrote something else there. Fashion instead of Facebook. I don't know what I was thinking there. Um, so uh, Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. Thank you to everyone for tuning in today. I hope you had uh, a lot of fun listening, and I hope you enjoy your Halloween, obviously. Uh, once again, Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you, Derek. Thanks, everyone. Uh, we will see you uh, next week. Bye.